Welcome to episode number 19 of Calm History. This is a serial episode featuring the story of Henry Ford, part 4, The First Test Drive. I'm Harris, and I created this time machine of tranquility to bring you the drama and excitement of history, but in a calm tone so you can just chill and relax. Alright, this is part four of a series of episodes about Henry Ford, the founder of the Ford Motor Company. You'll be hearing his journey to create the first automobile that middle-class Americans could afford. If you haven't listened to part three yet, then hit pause and go enjoy that episode. If you have listened to part three already, then I'll remind you what happened. In the prior episode, Henry finally left his farm and returned to Detroit with his wife. His newest vision was to build a gasoline-powered vehicle. He knew a lot about engine mechanics, but not so much about electricity and wiring, critical components for his future car. Being strategic about it, he got a job at the Edson Electric Lighting and Power Company. After work each day, he'd return home to focus on building his engine in his garage. He had just succeeded in getting the flywheel and piston to work, and his next tasks were, well, everything else essential to a car. In this episode, Henry moves on to creating those other vital parts of his car, like the transmission and the steering mechanism. His extreme focus on his machine creates a tense moment between him and his wife Clara. Yet, things keep moving forward, and Henry creates the first fully functional version of his car. His new car attracts the attention of his co-workers, investors, journalists, and even a curious character named Coffee Jim. Now, before I get into all that, a special note to my Silk Plus members. I posted a detailed map and timeline of Marco Polo's travels on the Silk Plus message board. It will probably be helpful when listening to the episode about Marco Polo, which is episode number six in the Archives podcast. To become a Silk Plus member and get free access for a limited time to all the archive and bonus episodes of Calm History and 400 other episodes, just use the link in the episode notes or go to Silk podcasts.com Okay, time to begin today's historical tale. I hope it distracts and relaxes your overactive brain squirrels. The Story of Henry Ford Part 4 The First Test Drive Henry Ford was now about 30 years old working in Detroit 
as a manager in the Edison Electric plant. At home, in his garage, he had completed his first major step of his vision of an affordable car. It was a one-cylinder gasoline engine, and Ford was quite pleased with it. He brought several men from the Edison plant to see it. They watched it whirring away on a pedestal of blocks and then examined its large cylinder and short-stroke piston. They remarked on its power and looked at Ford with new respect. Yet, many of them were doubtful of the success of an automobile built for a common person. The idea of a horseless carriage in general use still seemed too much of a fantasy to them. Some shared their doubts aloud. One said, Well, looks like you could make it go, but it's gonna be pretty expensive to run. Another commented, I can't imagine that many people will want to buy it. And another brought up the burning question, Where will you get the money to manufacture it? Ford adjusted his cap and replied, I'm going to make it cheap enough so every man in this country can have one before I'm through. Obviously, he didn't answer the man's question directly. He just believed that question would take care of itself when the time came. His job was to make the machine, and he didn't waste time telling himself that there was no chance for a poor man like him. He trusted that his philosophy and mission would draw others to help him when it would be necessary. His vision was driven by the core belief that a thing isn't any good unless it's good for everybody. He didn't intend to make a few high-priced toys for wealthy men. He planned to make something useful for thousands of men like himself. Men who were wasting money in keeping horses. Horses that cost money even when they weren't working. He knew this from owning horses on his own farm. He still meant to make a farm tractor with his new engine. As soon as he had worked out all the principles of his self-propelled machine. The problem of transmitting the power of the engine to the wheels now engrossed his attention. In other words, he had to figure out the transmission. To start, he gathered some miscellaneous materials to build a light buggy frame in his garage. He fitted four old bicycle tires with heavy rims and large pneumatic tires, and he placed them on the axles. The next question was how to attach the engine. Before this moment, carriages had always been pulled, either by horses throughout all of history, or more recently, by steam engines which is common to trains. 
Ford contemplated applying the power of the engine to the front wheels. But then, how would he steer? Would this arrangement be flexible enough to respond quickly and make a sharp turn? Then there was the problem of the throttle and the gears. The machine must be able to slow down and also pick up speed again without shutting off the power. All these vexing questions and many minor ones were yet to be solved. There was also the big challenge of simplicity because the machine had to be cheap. He needed people to realize that his vehicle was more affordable and more useful than a horse. Whatever you used a horse to do, on a farm or in a city, his engine and vehicle could do it better and cheaper. Ford believed that his vehicle won't be useful unless it's cheap enough so common people can have it and do their work with it. His third winter in the house in Detroit arrived, and still, the automobile was not completed. When he went out to work on the vehicle after supper, he'd light a fire in the rusty heating stove, which was in the corner of his garage. Often, his wife Clara came out and sat on a box, watching as he fit parts together or tried different transmission devices. This transmission was his latest challenge and was quite vexing. He had finally settled on a leather belt passing over the flywheel and connecting with the rear axle, a pulley arrangement controlled by a lever, tightened or loosened this leather belt, thus increasing or decreasing the speed of the automobile. That broad strip of leather, running from the engine on the rear axle to the pulley under the front seat, was the key to his transmission. Ford worked on it all winter. This was a lonely time for Clara Ford, and not just because her husband was so focused on his vehicle. Many in the neighborhood talked ill of her husband's mission, and she refused to have anything to do with people who talk like that. She knew Henry was perfectly sane, a better husband than most of them had, too. Besides, it was none of their business how Henry spent his time. If they didn't like it, they could lump it. Nevertheless, as the winter days followed, she grew discontented, and she was homesick for Greenfield and the big, comfortable country home. She missed friends running in and out, and the sound of sleigh bells jingling past on the road outside. One night, while watching him work in the garage, she finally blurted out, When is it going to be finished? She then caught her breath and shared, I'm sorry, 
I can't help it. It's just that I miss Greenfield. Ford had been testing the steering gear at that moment. He dropped his tools in surprise and went over to talk to her. I totally understand, he replied. It's done now. Well, it's practically done now. It just needs a little more. She interrupted him. She said his engine was always just needing a little more. She said she wanted him to take her back to Greenfield, at least for a little while. For all seven years of their marriage, Clara had been a supportive and patient wife. Ford realized at that moment, and probably for the first time, how much the making of the automobile had cost her. He promised that he would take her back to Greenfield. He'd give up his job at the Edison plant, and they would move back to the farm to live. His work on the machine could wait. They went into the house, and he made her a cup of tea. When she was sitting comfortably and sipping the tea, he said he would just run out and lock up the garage for the night. Once back in the garage, though, Ford quickly became distracted. The machine was almost finished. A few more screws, a tightening of the leather belt, the placing of the steering lever, and it'd be done. He'd spent four years of hard work on its creation. He was bummed to put it aside again but he totally understood what Clara was saying. It was only another temporary delay. He would still get to return to his machine at some point. While pondering all this, in that moment, he couldn't resist but do some last bit of tinkerings on his engine that sat in front of him. He picked up some tools and adjusted some gears tightened the leather belt, and tested the pulley again. He set the rear axle on blocks of wood, lifting the wheels from the ground, and started the engine. The cough of the cylinder quickened, and the flywheel blurred with speed. Ford tightened the pulley of the transmission. The leather belt gripped the rear axle, and then the rear wheel spun. His transmission and axle system were working for the first time. Ford then went to work on the steering gear. He had thought it all out before. He'd made all the parts. Now he just had to put them together, fit them into place, and test them. He figured that Clara was probably in bed by now. So... He might as well just continue on. He focused on placing the steering gear, and as midnight rolled around, he was still working on it. By 1 a.m., he had the front wheels blocked up and was testing the steering lever. He worked on making some more changes, and at 2 a.m. in the morning, 
It was all finished. He started the engine again, and it misfired. Ooh, something was wrong with the spark. He started tinkering again. At 3 a.m. in the morning, he felt a hand on his shoulder. He jumped back and saw Clara standing there. Honey, what's the matter? He asked immediately, followed by another quick stutter. Oh, my, it's, it's quite late. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm coming in right away. I'm sorry. I, I just thought that you'd gone to bed. I did, she replied, but I couldn't sleep very well. Henry, I got to thinking. She paused, and Henry stood very still, listening closely. She next explained how his immediate willingness to move back to the farm for her meant a lot. He'd recognized the sacrifices that she was making and that he was willing to make a sacrifice also. She went on to express how affirming and even loving that felt. She didn't want them to move back to the farm anymore. They could just take some occasional trips back home together, and she might even take some solo trips. But she did want to keep living in Detroit, and together, they would see his vision progress forward. Henry put down his tools, wiped his hands, and asked her if that's what she truly wanted. She said yes, and they hugged. Henry apologized for not returning back to the house promptly, admitting he had gotten distracted. Well, she laughed, it better had been time well spent. Show me what you've done. Henry beamed while he explained how he got the transmission working. With genuine interest and excitement, she listened as he explained how the transmission was now driving the rear wheels. He even pushed the wheeled machine into the yard and nailed some boards together to create a temporary seat. Oh, Henry, she exclaimed, you are going to annoy the neighbors. So what, Henry replied. They're just going to complain anyways. Clara laughed and agreed. To combat the darkness, he hung a lantern on the front of his strange wheeled vehicle. He wanted Clara to be the first person to witness what this curious device could do. He started the engine, sat down on the board, and slowly tightened the pulley on his transmission system. When he felt the machine moving forward under him, he tightened his grasp on the steering lever. The machine wobbled unsteadily while he desperately struggled to drive it in a straight line. Then, in the first Ford automobile, Henry Ford rode away from the old shed to the delight of his wife. He drove across the lawn, barely avoiding some flower pots, a fence, and a clothes pole.
he almost panicked until he remembered how to make it stop. He quickly moved the lever, which loosened the leather belt that went to the rear axle. The engine spun wildly, but the car stopped moving. Henry Ford got out, breathing hard, and turned the engine off. He pushed his machine back to the garage. Clara had watched the whole thing with terror for his safety and excitement for his accomplishment. That was incredible, she exclaimed as he returned his machine to the area in front of the garage. You ain't seen nothing yet, Henry exclaimed while restarting the engine. What are you doing? She yelled to him over the sound of the engine. I'm going where this thing belongs, he yelled back, into the street. Clara put her hand over her open mouth, knowing no words were going to stop him. He again sat on his wood board seat, pulled the lever to tighten the leather belt around the rear axle, and then lurched forward towards the street. Clara followed behind him, like a nervous mother watching her child ride a bicycle for the first time. The machine, rattling and coughing, proceeded into the street with jerks and jumps. Yet, the one-cylinder motor kept running, moving the vehicle forward while Henry wrestled to steer it properly. Luckily, the streets of Detroit were quite wide and forgiving. As Henry went down the street, Clara was on the sidewalk, able to walk and half run to keep up with him. His vehicle moved briskly, but it wasn't faster than Clara at this point in its development. Although he could steer his contraption, he couldn't really do a complete U-turn that would enable him to turn around and head back home. Instead, he slowed to a stop, jumped out, lifted up one end, pivoted his vehicle so it was heading in the opposite direction, then climbed back in and drove home. With the vehicle back in the garage, Clara and Henry celebrated the machine's first successful drive test. When asked later about this moment, Henry Ford shared, How did I feel? Why, I felt tired. I went to bed and slept all next day. I knew my real work with the car had just begun. I had to get capital somehow, start a factory, get people interested, you know, everything. Besides, I also saw a chance for a lot of improvements in that car. His four years of work had produced a little machine, scarcely larger than a bicycle, yet it was an automobile. It had a pulley clutch, a little one-cylinder engine, and a crude and somewhat dangerous steering mechanism. 
after one day of rest, he resumed his old routine. The next day at the Edison plant, a few men laughingly inquired how he was getting along with his great invention. He remarked quietly that the machine was running and that he'd been riding in it. At 6 p.m., he hurried home and went out to his garage. He was trying to plan an engine which would give even more power while also working to improve the steering apparatus. This was once again his daily routine. One thing had changed, though. Some men from work were starting to stop by to see his progress. Some were still dubious, of course. But some were also getting more supportive of his machine, and they voiced it aloud. My lord, Ford, there's millions in this thing. Millions. You ought to get out and organize a company. A big company. Incorporate and sell stock and make a cleanup right away. And then build yourself a real fancy vehicle with big leather cushions, ornate carriage lamps, and lots of shiny enamel finish. Why, there are hundreds of men that could afford to pay two or three thousand dollars for one of them. You could make a hundred percent profit. Heck, maybe two hundred percent profit. Ford listened to advice like this, but he said little. He was busy improving the machine. He felt he could make it much more powerful and efficient with a little more work. Contrary to some of the advice he kept hearing, he still planned to make it cheap and affordable so most people could buy one. Rich people just didn't need a vehicle like this. It was the common working man who could benefit the most. News of his amazing machine spread rapidly. About this time, news dispatches carried word of two other men creating automobiles like this. One was a man named Duria in Springfield, Illinois, and the other was a man named Haynes in Kokomo, Indiana. A reporter found Ford at work on his engine, interviewed him, and wrote a story for a Detroit paper. One or two wealthy men hunted down Ford and talked about furnishing the capital to manufacture the machine. They saw, as others had, an opportunity to float a big company, sell stock, and build a high-priced car. Ford considered these offers, but building an automobile had been only half of his idea. Building it cheap had been the other half, and he wasn't going to abandon that. He figured it out in dollars and cents. He could have a big profit margin on a few fancy cars, or he could have a small profit margin on many cheap cars. Either way would produce good profits, but creating cheap cars 
would help the most people. He just wanted to make enough profit to keep growing the assembly plant to build even more cars. The men with deep pockets and visions of a fancy car couldn't convince Ford to change his mind. In the end, the men with the money dropped the matter. Ford continued to work at the Edison plant and spend his evenings trying to improve his machine. Clara was now pregnant and quite far along. They decided it would be best if she stayed with her mother back home in Greenfield until the baby was born. Clara looked at Henry and half-joked. Maybe by the time I come back, you'll have a company organized and a whole factory going. Who knows? Henry smiled and just replied, Don't worry about me. You just focus on getting lots of rest and good old country air. But she did worry about him. She'd been taking care of him for years, including making most of his meals. She waved goodbye to Henry, confident that he wouldn't starve to death, but unsure how well he would feed himself. The next morning, alone in the house, Fort faced the unfamiliar task of building a fire and preparing his own breakfast. In some ways, he found it more challenging than building an automobile. He managed to heat some coffee on the stove, burn some bread in an attempt to make toast, and scrambled some eggs along with bits of their shells. Later that night, he had another new challenge, preparing his own supper. He walked into the kitchen and felt overwhelmed. Clara just made it all look so easy. He started by taking out a frying pan, but then he put it back. It just seemed too daunting. He couldn't even make himself a sandwich because he was out of bread. It was now very late in the evening, and his hunger was just getting stronger. Scratching his head, he then remembered an all-night meal wagon near Substation A. He'd gotten coffee there several times when he'd worked there. He'd been thinking about testing out his new adjustments to the steering gear. So this seemed like a good double mission. Test the steering out while getting some food. Hmm, win-win. The automobile stood waiting in the garage. He started it up and sat on the wood seat. He then chug-chug-chugged through the silent, deserted streets of Detroit on his way to the food wagon. The wagon was run by a man called Coffee Jim, who lifted his head when he heard a strange sound. Coffee Jim was staring at a curious and loud contraption coming straight towards his food wagon. Sitting on top of this odd-wheeled vehicle was a man he recognized from prior visits, Henry Ford. 
Coffee Jim was excited to chat with Henry about his vehicle, while he also prepped him up a nice fried ham sandwich for dinner. Stepping out of his food wagon, Coffee Jim examined every detail of the machine, and he was impressed. Ford even took him for a ride in it. This soon became part of Ford's daily routine. Instead of stressing about making himself dinner every night, he would just ride to Coffee Jim's food wagon late in the evening. Henry enjoyed a cup of coffee, a hot sandwich, and a good chat with Coffee Jim each evening. They soon became close friends. Henry Ford didn't know it at that moment, but this friendship would later be key to helping him move his vision forward. This is where I'll pause, part four of the story of Henry Ford. Stay tuned for part five. I hope you enjoyed this serial episode of Calm History. If you'd like to become a Silk Plus member and get free access for a limited time to all the archive and bonus episodes of Calm History and 400 other episodes, then just use the link in the episode notes or go to silkpodcasts.com. Thank you for listening to my podcast.